Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. My guest today is one of the chief officers of arguably the world's most iconic transport network. Everyone across the globe recognizes the logo, and he's going to talk about the work that he and his team are currently doing in a time of climate crisis and global uncertainty. This is the introduction of the new series on Heads Talk, the automotive series where we talk to C-suite leaders, executive heads, and official representatives of governing bodies in the transport and automotive sector. I'm very excited about this new series and my guest today kind of kicks off the discussions. But before we get into that, here is a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Gareth Powell is a member of the executive management team for Transport for London, TFL, as it is often called. His official role is the managing director of Surface Transport. Gareth joined TFL in 2003 after working in a number of roles in various organisations in the UK and abroad to include the infrastructure consultancy WS Atkins. Gareth is also a member of a number of boards and committees. Immediately prior to his appointment as Managing Director, he was the Director of Public Transport and TfL Strategy, driving significant improvements while the organisation embarked on a modernisation programme. His current remit includes, but not limited to, the safe and efficient running of London's roads, bus services, taxis, cycle hire, river services, congestion and emission charging schemes, London Overground, DLR and Emirates Airline and Trams. Not a light undertaking, considering London is the biggest city in Europe and one of the largest in the world. Let's hear from Gareth himself. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Gareth to Headstall. Absolutely delighted to have you here today. It's great to be here talking with you, Elaine. Thanks, Gareth. Once again, really thanks for, for kickstarting this new series on Headstall. As mentioned, this series is where we delve into the world of the automotive industry and discuss topics such as CO2 neutral solutions, electric vehicle technology, hydrogen production, fuel cell engineering, battery charging infrastructure, as well as the consumer, political and environmentalist reaction to this change. Let's begin with this neat and brief introductory question. You are the world's most iconic transport network. Are you the greenest? Well, Elaine, I think all transport networks uh, around the world are uh, seeing the huge role that they can play uh, in addressing the climate crisis that we all face uh, around the globe. Uh, and London is absolutely uh, at the forefront uh, of, of doing that. Uh, we're acutely aware that both by getting people out of their private vehicles uh, into public transport and through the process of uh, reducing the carbon emissions ultimately down to zero from public transport, uh, there's a huge opportunity to play a really, a really leading role uh, in decarbonising uh, and actually addressing the real issues of climate change. 
Mm, okay, and as a result of some of the work that you are doing, what type of green jobs are being created? And some numbers would be great. So one of the things that is really important at TfL, about half of our direct um, carbon footprint, it actually comes from the London bus fleet. And the London iconic double-decker uh, red buses uh, around London, uh, there's about 9,000 uh, of those. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's a really uh, massive uh, system, uh, the biggest form of public transport in London. And uh, I think over 97% of Londoners are within 400 metres of a bus stop. So it really is uh, the kind of arteries and the, and the capillaries, if you like, of of yeah. London's public transport system. Uh, now, so therefore, the undertaking to uh, convert uh, that enormous network uh, from uh, how it operates uh, traditionally, uh, from diesel vehicles and hybrid vehicles uh, through to zero emission vehicles, is a is a massive undertaking. To give you an example of that, at the moment, uh, we have uh, one of the largest uh, fleets uh, in Europe, uh, about 550 zero emission vehicles out of the 9,000 and a further. 400 on order, which means by, by uh, the end of the year, we'll be at about 10% of our fleet will be at zero emission. Right. But one of the challenges is, of course, is to, is to make sure that the uh, all of the uh, conversion process uh, through manufacturers, through other forms of technology, uh, is able to be done in a way that's both economic and supports sustainable jobs and growth uh, right across the UK and elsewhere in the world. So one of the things that we're, we're doing, for example, by having uh, a very large and steady order of zero emission vehicles right. is uh, ensuring that jobs around the UK, particularly in places like uh, Leeds and, and Scarborough and, and up in Scotland and Northern Ireland, uh, are underpinned by this constant investment in London. And we estimate uh, more than 3,000 uh, green jobs are being directly supported uh, mm -hmm. by the process of uh, electrifying London's bus fleet. All right, thanks for that. Let's briefly look at some of the um, other positive side effects. And um, how is all of this generally affecting the, the economy? What businesses in the city are thriving, if that's the word, as a result of some of the measures taken or work um, you've done? So there are two uh, ways in which uh, the, the broad economy and also uh, businesses supported by this. I mean, the first is that the the transport network in London, of course, is at the heart of mm. uh, the economic performance uh, of London. Uh, Londoners uh, predominantly get about by public transport, walking and cycling. Uh, over half of Londoners don't have access uh, to a car. It really is a public transport and active travel uh, city. And that means that access to jobs and services, uh, all of the economic output of London is really underpinned uh, by our very integrated transport system. Mm. In order to do so, and in order to uh, support the recovery from uh, coronavirus, and so on. We've had a, a huge programme uh, of ensuring that London's transport system is not only uh, moving towards being uh, zero emission and playing its part mm -hmm. in, in climate crisis, but also, of course, it's clean and safe and, uh, and that people are welcome to, to travel around. And, uh, and one of the things that's really important about that is to ensure that, that everybody has confidence in using public transport. The last thing uh, that we would like to see uh, is a return to private car use. Uh, mm -hmm. That doesn't work in a, in a dense city like London. Uh, it, of course, produces uh, more carbon emissions uh, per person than using public transport or walking and cycling. So it's really important that all businesses are supported uh, in terms of the people yeah. that work in them and the mobility of Londoners uh, by a, a really fully functioning uh, public transport system. OK, um, and, and, and one of the, the big conversations and challenges with the shift to CO2 neutral solutions is the setting up of the, the charging networks around a city. 
never mind the country. Um, the UK, and in particular London, started early and has come a long way with this, pretty much leading the way. T tell my listeners about some of the work that is being done in this space. There's a lot of behind the scenes development work. So it'd be great to get a sense of the enormity of the task, as well as some of your successes. So it is an enormous task. Um, as I said, we start with the uh, with the London bus network and, and producing all of the necessary infrastructure that goes with that. And just to give uh, your listeners a sense of that, uh, not only do we have 9,000 buses uh, mm -hmm. in London, we're going to need uh, an additional 750 new stabling places because of the, the range of the vehicles. That equates when you charge up all of London's buses yeah. to about 700 gigawatt hours per hour of um, electricity, per annum, sorry, of electricity required. And that means that a number of substations have got to be upgraded across London. Uh, we've got 76 separate garages uh, that all need to be upgraded and about six and a half thousand uh, bus charges that need to be developed. Mm. And that is just for the transition of the bus network. Of course, other vehicles in London uh, need to transition at the same time from heavy goods vehicles, light goods vehicles, and of course, private cars and taxis. Uh, we've made a, 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 very, a very good start with our um, taxi fleet. Uh, for a number of years, only the new, the iconic uh, black taxi in London, only all new taxis need to be zero emission capable. We have about uh, four and a half thousand zero emission uh, taxis on the road in London, which is about a third of the entire uh, black cab fleet. And we also have similar regulations in place uh, for new uh, private hire vehicles uh, also in London. Uh, TfL has delivered uh, about 300 rapid charging uh, charging units uh, across London, some of those for taxis, uh, others for other forms of uh, commercial vehicles and so on. And we're also working very closely with the 33 boroughs across London, introducing uh, forms of residential charging, particularly yeah. converting of lampposts and so on, because in London, uh, a number, a large proportion of uh, householders don't have access to a, to a dedicated driveway. So we need to have that infrastructure for overnight charging uh, on the on the street. So it's a very big um, effort. It's an effort not only for uh, the allocation of uh, of space to put these charges and parking spaces, but it's a an effort for the uh, for the electricity grid in London, uh, and it's also an effort for for new players. We have uh, a number of green finance. Uh, operations coming into London, uh, overnight battery storage technology, for example, that's being deployed with second use uh, batteries and so on, all of which has a part to play uh, in delivering this transition quickly within London. Okay, thanks. And as a side, um, is there a set number of um, EV charging devices per borough, because you talked about borough, per borough, for example, and is there some sort of map, like a tube map that drivers can view um, to access the nearest charging point, albeit digitally accessed on a phone in an app, or for instance, paper-based? Yeah, so there is, so absolutely, there are a number of um, apps that give access to, uh, to charging points, some of them showing the occupancy of those charging points uh, in real time. Uh, and all of that data, along with uh, data on public transport and so on, TfL uh, coordinates across the city. So uh, through our open data policies, which I think we've uh, been a pioneer of, uh, we have uh, over 700 apps taking public transport information, for example, on some of those apps, including our own. And uh, not only will you be able to find information on, uh, on, on travel for, for road transport, but you'll also be able to find a lot of information about when the quiet times are to travel on public transport. And this all builds up to a series of options that we can give Londoners so that they can, uh, can adopt an increasingly low carbon transport lifestyle. So that's an integration between public transport walking and cycling with the use of the of the private car uh, as and when necessary but hopefully uh, in, a, in an increasingly less so proportionately. Mm -hmm. Okay so let's look at what else needs to be done in, in this space and who should do it. 
And only yesterday there was an announcement by Sadiq Khan that all new London buses will be zero emission. And as a result, this will boost the green economy and create jobs, some of the stuff you just talked about. So that's great news there. You've also mentioned that we have the EV buses. Um, you've given us some numbers. We've got the EV taxis. What else? Are the waste disposal vehicles electric? Delivery vans, postal vans? Can you give, give us a sense of where we're at with those? So there is a huge uh, technological challenge for the transport industry uh, at large to be able to move away from the internal combustion engine. Uh, and the larger the vehicle, the in many ways, uh, the bigger the challenge, uh, depending on how far that vehicle has to, challenge, has to travel uh, in its duty cycle. So uh, we've seen uh, conversion of, uh, of cars uh, coming forward. We're uh, really on the path uh, very firmly now to uh, convert the, the iconic double-decker uh, red buses uh, of London. Uh, commercial vehicles, large commercial vehicles, there are products available now and particularly for vans and, and last mile uh, delivery uh, also. Uh, London, I think, is is at the forefront of that. One of the things that uh, has been enabling that to happen is we have uh, a series of emission charging uh, schemes in London. Uh, the ultra-low emission zone is something that exists uh, today in the very centre of London and uh, at the end of October is being expanded to the north and south circular uh, roads in London. To give listeners an idea, that's an expansion of about uh, 17 to 18 times uh, the size that it is at the moment. And all the vehicles in those uh, areas will need to be at the very uh, the very cleanest of standards of combustion engine technology, that's Euro 6 uh, standards. Uh, but actually what that's incentivizing, incentivizing an awful lot of people to uh, look again and see whether they can make the leap uh, to convert their vehicles over to a fully uh, zero emission vehicle. And that applies equally to heavy goods vehicles coming into London, uh, as it does to uh, residents of London uh, and others uh, travelling around our streets. So uh, we really are trying to bring an integrated set of policies to bear in London that will drive uh, the infrastructure, make sure that the private uh, markets can convert. And we need a lot of uh, petrol stations and others to convert into, into charging hubs. We know that the estimate is that we probably need uh, about 4,000 rapid charging points and about 48,000 residential charges by 2025 uh, across London. To do that, uh, that's not just the, the public sector and bodies such as TfL. Uh, that's those who own private infrastructure uh, converting their own infrastructure to, to rapid charging points. Uh, we in TfL have got a strategy to put a rapid charging hub uh, in each of the five sub-regions of London. We just opened a new one in the in the east of London, mm -hmm. uh, and that's an area where you can go. It's a bit like a like a petrol station in many ways, but uh, but it's full of uh, fast chargers, and you can go and get a get a really fast charge for your for your vehicle, particularly for commercial vehicles and also. Uh, for private vehicles. So there's a lot left to do. Uh, there's a lot of infrastructure to be put in place. The, the Mayor of London has an overall uh, EV strategy, which is being refreshed at the moment. And we're looking at uh, the current state of where we are and, and looking to more forecasts to see uh, how we can incentivize everybody to invest in London and to make this a really quick transition. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks for that. Um, the pandemic, the pandemic must have, um, among other things, hampered or at least altered the, the EV infrastructure delivery plan. So I ask now, how has the last 18 months slowed down or even expedited some of the sustainable plans you have, you have in London? Well, like many uh, global cities, uh, the, the, the pandemic has had a fundamental impact on uh, Londoners' travel and transport uh, in our city. Uh, at one stage uh, during the uh, pandemic, uh, we had ridership on our public transport systems uh, collapsed by 97%. In mm. fact, we had the quietest 
uh, day uh, on the tube since Queen Victoria uh, was on the throne. So, and absolutely, and the streets of London were transformed. You, you had nobody around. They were in a full lockdown situation. Uh, one of the, the opportunities that's come from that uh, has been the uh, ability to uh, move forward very quickly with infrastructure for walking and cycling. Uh, and we now have, uh, we've delivered over 120 kilometres of uh, protected uh, cycling space, which has led to a huge increase uh, in cycling. And that's part of the overall journey to reduce the reliance uh, on vehicles and to ensure that people can uh, can live a, a low, much lower uh, carbon lifestyle. So that's one of the positives to come out of it. Uh, the second, of course, is, is funding. TfL, unlike many uh, world city transport bodies, is predominantly funded by the fares revenue that it collects from public transport. Clearly, therefore, the pandemic has had a uh, has had a massive impact on CFL's finances. That has meant that we had to go to central government for support. Uh, the central government in the UK has given some five billion pounds of support to Transport for London. And where we are at the moment is that we are talking to central government about a longer term uh, funding support because these have been very short term fundings. And the longer term uh, funding support uh, means that we can invest uh, in longer term programmes. And I think there has been an impact to, to almost all of our programmes uh, at TfL whilst we've been in the pandemic, and that includes uh, you know, programmes directed towards climate change as much as it does to capacity uh, or indeed the, the, the upgrade, modernisation and maintenance of, of London's transport systems and its roads. So a long-term funding settlement will enable uh, TfL to play its full part in, in, in the recovery of London. And of course, the recovery of London economically uh, means the recovery of the UK, given that London is the economic powerhouse uh, of the UK and contributes uh, a large proportion of, of the overall GDP. So uh, it's really important that we do that. It's really important that we rebuild uh, our finances, confidence in public transport travel, uh, confidence in, in businesses and, and retail and people going about and visiting and enjoying all the great things that London can offer. That, that confidence is supported uh, and returned and, and TfL's in a very good place to do that and to, and to therefore provide options for, for people to return back to uh, travel, but do so in a, in a much lower carbon environment than perhaps they, they, they did before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, another thing that was uh, effective by the pandemic, sort of in a positive way, was the digitalization of everything, and um, it's you know people quickly adopted digital um, solutions. How has the digitalization of things helped um, in all of this for you? So, as an organisation, like every other major uh, employer, um, we've adopted uh, digital and remote working tools where that's appropriate. And of course, a large proportion of TfL's uh, workers, like many key workers across London. Uh, are operating on, on shift uh, on the front line and, and therefore uh, have been uh, you know, working the same way now as they did all the way through the pandemic to keep the transport services open. More broadly, uh, the options for digital remote working and so on uh, may well lead to a, a change in, in travel patterns. Uh, one of the opportunities there is for um, a spreading out of uh, of, of travel demand so that it fills up uh, capacity more equally. Uh, there's plenty of space on the transport system in London at the moment, and we, uh, we're we anticipating a, a, a steady return. We've already got uh, over 50% of uh, ridership back on the underground system and over 70% uh, of, of pre-pandemic ridership back on the uh, on the London buses. And that just reflects uh, the fact that Londoners do have confidence in travelling around and, of course, a, a lot of shift work and others uh, where people can't take advantage of uh, of remote working. Clearly, in the medium term, uh, we may see some some systemic changes to travel patterns. And I think we uh, we anticipate at least 
getting up to 80% of pre-COVID levels. And the remainder uh, is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be able to reframe how people travel around. And it's an opportunity uh, to be able to uh, make sure that all of the capacity is filled up equally uh, and that growth is therefore supported economically in the long term. Okay. Okay. Let's look at um, the other heavily talked about CO2 neutral solution, hydrogen fuel cell. Um, what H2 solutions are you overseeing in TfL, if any, and why this option? So I think uh, the London bus network has uh, been been experimenting and uh, trialling hydrogen technology for, for many, many years, over a decade, actually, on uh, on single deck vehicles. The key uh, development for us, which we've been working very closely with a number of suppliers on, is to be able to uh, to have a uh, a double decker uh, red bus uh, product powered by hydrogen fuel cells. The great advantage of hydrogen is that it's a very dense energy source, uh, which means that potentially uh, a vehicle can travel for a for a longer distance than it would with uh, simply battery electric technology. And also the weight of the fuel cell and the fuel uh, may be less than the size of the batteries required to be able to do that that journey, and particularly in, in a hilly environment. So we know that it potentially in, uh, in, in the London bus uh, fleet, uh, hydrogen has a role to play. At the moment, we have 20 uh, double-decker hydrogen fuel cell-powered uh, vehicles operating uh, on London's roads uh, as part of a pilot. And we've been at the heart of uh, an initiative across the UK, supported by funding from the European Union and elsewhere, uh, to bring about uh, a really sizable pilot uh, of hydrogen-powered uh, bus vehicles so that we can all learn uh, what role they might play going forward. At the moment, uh, London's uh, hydrogen uh, buses are powered by uh, by a waste product. So hydrogen is a waste product of an industrial process up in Runcorn uh, in the northwest of uh, of England. Uh, and actually, we we are building a uh, a, a refueling site uh, in London, and uh, also we'll be connecting to a wind farm directly in the south of England. So the hydrogen we can be confident will be produced uh, in a really in a really green way, uh, mm -hmm. and therefore we want to see what the potential is for hydrogen to uh, play, a, play a part in the overall mix going forward alongside uh, battery electric. Those are the buses that charge overnight. Uh, and also we're, we're going to trial uh, what's called opportunity charging, which is a much smaller battery in a bus, but then which charges up at the end of its routes just for a short period of time to top up the batteries. These all may have a uh, have a role to play uh, in the future. And, uh, and at TFL, we're very keen to support manufacturers and, and investors to be able to deliver these innovative solutions mm -hmm. and then see what role they can play both in London's uh, bus market, but also then, of course, uh, in the rest of the UK and around the world. All right, so that's a wait and see. That's interesting there. Okay, um, for my last question on this episode of this talk, um, I'd like to look at collaborations outside of London and perhaps the country. How are you working with your peers across um, networks in different cities? I think you briefly talked about that. Um, across the country, and indeed across other countries as well. And what can they learn from the work um, that you've been doing in TFL? Well, we really see the investment uh, that we're making in, in particularly in London's bus fleet, for example, and also in other solutions uh, across London uh, as being something that is, uh, you know, an investment both for, for the UK uh, and more broadly. We know that the scale of London uh, provides the opportunity uh, for businesses to invest, to trial their new technology, to innovate uh, and so on, and to really demonstrate uh, what their technologies can produce. Uh, and we work very closely with other major cities uh, in the UK. We're part of a number of, uh, of sharing organisations and collective 
bodies with areas like Birmingham and Manchester uh, and Liverpool and so on as they uh, start on their journey uh, to decarbonize their transport and to uh, provide uh, electric infrastructure. We're also working very closely uh, with a number of uh, cities uh, around the world. Uh, we're part of a number of uh, of, of collective organisations. I'm on the policy board of uh, a large uh, public transport uh, infrastructure um, uh, organisation called UITP, uh, where we have a number of uh, dedicated for looking at the transition uh, to zero emission vehicles and zero emission uh, infrastructure. And, and we share all of our uh, all of our thoughts and our learnings uh, with our peers. Uh, we're also learning too. Uh, in many cases, some cities have moved very quickly, particularly in the in the bus area where they have smaller vehicles or the the technology is uh, is more mature. China has been uh, an area where, and particularly in Shenzhen and places like that, where they have a huge uh, move to 100% uh, zero emission bus fleet. I myself have been over there uh, to talk to them about the, the learnings that they've got and uh, and how the bus uh, the buses can operate. Uh, and so we try to pick up whatever learning we can and import it back into the uh, the context that we have uh, in London. And just this last Friday, uh, the Mayor of London hosted. Uh, a, a bus summit. We had contributions from cities such as Bogota uh, and elsewhere uh, in the world and in the country uh, to that. So it's about a collective journey. It's about making sure that we have uh, the conditions for investment, the conditions uh, for green jobs, the conditions uh, to make sure that we have a stable uh, manufacturing base and, and a really, really good long order book. And what that leads to, of course, is lower prices uh, and a faster delivery of the zero emission transport system that we all want to see. Okay, and, and to balance it out, um, what excites you about what other countries or even cities are doing in this space? Well, I think it, I think it's really exciting when you see cities that uh, that have moved all the way to one hundred percent of of zero emission for their public transport, uh, and it's really exciting to see, uh, therefore, that they're able to. Um, uh, to, to put public transport not only at the heart of an efficient movement and the heart of economic growth, uh, but also at the heart of <clears throat> being able to address uh, the world's climate challenge. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really positive uh, for public transport. It's really positive for, for, for transport in general. It's so important that we give everybody equal ac access to jobs and to services and their opportunity to grow and develop mm -hmm. and being able to do so in a way that has a low cost for them, but is able to be uh, contributing to the wider goals uh, across the world. I think that's I think that's massively exciting, and it's it's something I know that inspires many transport professionals uh, around the world that they can play their full part in this really important journey. Okay, well, that's, a, that's a lot of useful information, here, and at least we're moving in the right direction. Gareth Powell, it's been an absolute pleasure. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.